0: Two years post-moor, 1987 brings us Timothy Dalton's first outing as Bond, with mi 6 helping and then stopping a rogue, double-crossing, embezzling Russian General Koskov, with the help and infatuation of the General's cellist girlfriend, Kara. Fighting through Czechoslovakia, Austria, Afghanistan, and Tangiers, James Bond takes charge in The Living Daylights.
1: Podcasters, assemble. Good evening, 003.
2: The following is for your ears only, and is classified above top secret by Her Majesty's Secret Service. Our contact with that We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network intercepted an encrypted audio message regarding Podcasters Assemble. For this season, the Podcast Network is looking to recruit field operatives from around the world to reminisce about the Bond movies and a countdown to the latest film in the franchise, No Time to Die. Your primary objective is to infiltrate
3: Podcasters Assemble by recording and uploading your submissions at probablywork.com, utilizing a two-way communications device with a built-in microphone, the latest from QBranch.
2: For a full mission report, go to probablywork.com.
3: We're all counting on you, 003.
4: Hello, my name is Ben Thompson. I am from badassoftheweek.com.
0: Hi, this is Justin Aki, graphic designer and one half a significant otter co.
2: Uh, Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History and too young for this trek.
5: This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs podcast.
1: Hi, my name's Bill I'm from Bill's JRPG Adventures and Other Trappings podcast And soon to be co-host of The World Is My Burrito podcast And this is The Living Daylights
3: This is the first Bond film featuring Timothy Dalton in The Living Daylights And today we are talking about The
4: Living Daylights The Living Daylights
2: The Living Daylights is the 15th Bond film, based partially on an Ian Fleming short story, and is Timothy Dalton's
4: introduction as James Bond. This is from 1987, it's the first Timothy Dalton movie. Uh, It was released the same day as The Lost Boys and beat it out at the box office, and it is also the first James Bond movie that I saw in the movie theater, although I was probably a little too young to appreciate it.
0: This movie was basically a reboot, not just an actor, but overall theme. We get a new money penny, Bond is on the shit list, not just a hotshot agent, and the Cold War is still pretty warm. I actually appreciate this movie more than watching, well, more. It was a breath of fresh air. I don't know if it holds up 100% to that, but after watching these in a row, I truly liked it. I think the next movie would be a little bit better, but we'll see how it works out. It's been a while.
1: Quite frankly, the best Bond film in existence, ever made, ever was, ever will be, starring the great, Timothy Dalton. People, prepare for something you have not experienced yet. This is a fantastic Bond film. I've been really excited to get to Timothy Dalton's James Bond movies.
5: I've always remembered liking these two quite a bit, but I like them for being action movies, whereas the Roger Moore movies I remember liking for being comedies. And I gotta tell you, this time around, watching those Roger Moore movies again... They didn't necessarily do it for me on the comedic front. But I'm happy to say that The Living Daylights absolutely holds up as an action movie.
4: Timothy Dalton originally screen tested for On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but we got George Lazenby instead. He turned down options to appear in Diamonds Are Forever, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, and A View to a Kill, just because he was either not ready yet or he had other projects he was working on. He originally wasn't available to do Living Daylights, um, so they offered it to Pierce Brosnan, but Pierce Brosnan couldn't get out of his Remington Steel contract. They offered it to Christopher Reeve, Superman, he couldn't do it, and then Dalton figured out his schedule, got on board, and now finally, we've been trying to get him to be James Bond since the 60s, now we get it, 1987,
3: here we go, the Living Daylights. Thank God we are finally out of the
0: more-more. This movie marks the first appearance of Timothy Dalton and the turn of the series from slight comedic to serious enough. So, guys, my
1: favourite film in the Bond franchise, The Living Daylights. I hope you're ready for this. I'm going to show this film so much love because it is the quintessential Bond movie. It has everything. It has charm. It has charisma. It doesn't have any rape. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's just overall a fantastic romp of a movie you know you could possibly argue that the uh, the villain could have been a bit stronger um but other than that i think timothy dalton makes a fantastic job of playing bond in this movie and it is just absolutely amazing
2: The living daylight starts with a nice classic gun barrel sequence during this cold open we see m's desk on a jumbo jet which i mean at this point isn't really all that surprising considering he has an office on a submarine and in the middle of an archaeological dig site and in the middle of a derelict ship in the middle of the hong kong bay randomly i love how his papers go flying anyway uh bond and other 00 agents are on a training mission in gibraltar
3: leave it to the Brits to once again have a proper office in the back of a
1: plane. So, welcome to the island of Gibraltar. Now, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure someone else will probably say this as well, Gibraltar is actually uh, an English colony, and it is an island situated off of the west coast of, I believe, Spain or Portugal? Somewhere in that region? So, it is in a really nice location, and it is very very close to... I think it's Portugal. I want to say Portugal. It's very close to there. And um, yeah, but it remains part of uh, the UK and uh, people there actually get to vote in UK elections and everything it balls out. You know, it's a bit like the Falklands, but even more part of the UK because uh, the Argentinians aren't trying to fight for it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's not get political. Uh, but yes, welcome to Gibraltar. They parachute
2: in into the middle of a paintball tournament. This looks like the most fun thing ever. Dalton has a great reveal. I gotta admit, that whole opening
0: sequence was actually pretty good. The movie has a solid cold opening, a training mission on Gibraltar. Oh, and M has an office on a paratrooper plane, because of course he does. But the mission goes a little rough, and it's infiltrated by a Russian agent who actually kills some MI6 and MOD soldiers alike. After a harrowing trip down, I guess they call them, roads? Damn. Damn. Bond ends up accidentally blowing up the jeep with a box of grenades. I do like how he pulls his reserve chute. That was a fun escape. And then Bond ends up on a boat with a girl before the opening credits. End of movie, everyone. Head on out. Movie over.
4: We open in Gibraltar. We have 002, 004, and 007. They're going to parachute into Gibraltar as part of a field exercise to test the island's defenses. Um, Waiting for them on the island is the SAS, who are like the toughest of the British military. uh, And the 00 agents are going to try to see if they can infiltrate um, the British installation on Gibraltar
1: in the middle of the day by parachuting in in broad daylight. And they're doing some sort of, uh, you know, test mission, you know, just to show how good the 00 agents are. And uh, admittedly, one of the 00 agents absolutely bloody sucks, because the moment he lands on the island, he gets shot (laughs) with a paint gun by the SAS guys. Now, I'm going to talk about the SAS guys' posh voices in a minute, but I'll come back to that. Uh, But yeah, you know, they all jump out of the airplane, and this is where we see that this is actually going to be a bit more of a serious, serious affair, because... They don't have huge Union Jack parachutes, you know. (laughs) They have camouflaged parachutes, so that they kind of blend into the mountain a little bit, you know? I mean, the
5: opening of this movie, the pre-credits action scene, is a better action scene and chase scene than anything Roger Moore put to film in his entire run as James Bond. What's happening is, basically, there's a training mission going on, That's two factions of the British military or Secret Service or whatever going against each other. But there's actually a spy inside of the group of spies who's trying to kill the spies. It was
4: really cool to see some of the other 00 agents in action, even though they both like immediately get killed by the SAS, they get shot with these pink bullets and that's the end of them. But but it's still cool to like get this idea of these other 00 agents out there and see them in action.
3: I love how the SAS is allegedly prepared for these agents and yet nobody is prepared for an assassin.
1: Now, I'm a British guy. You know, you may have noticed this or not. And (laughs) I just want to say that the accents that the SAS people here have is terrible. Now, I've seen... Um, a lot of SAS programs over the years. There's a particularly good one in the UK called uh, SAS. Uh, Who dares wins, uh, which is fantastic. It's uh, main, It's mostly following this guy called Ant Middleton and his crew, uh, and he actually only lives up the road from me. in uh, you know, I, I won't say where, but somewhere in Essex. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the SAS tend to not come from the posher parts of society. Let's say that um, they are very gruff fellows. But these guys are like, eh, hello, I've uh, I shot you, Bond. Oh, you must be dead. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, people with a high-class education don't go into the army. Um. (laughs) On the island,
4: we see uh, one of the 00 agents is killed. Uh, His rope is cut, and he falls to his death. And I don't know if it's a dummy or if it's a stunt, but it looks pretty brutal when this guy falls
5: and plummets and bounces off a rock on his way down. And James Bond has to stop him, but everybody else thinks it's paintball exercise, and there's, like, this wild jeep that's going down a hill with James
1: Bond on top of it so yes uh, it all goes a bit wrong though because there is a another double agent out there who has turned up in order to kill off the double O agents on this special mission and you know he puts his he manages to cut the rope on one and bond immediately jumps to action figures it out and starts running after the guy so the guy steals a car after killing an sas man and starts driving off uh, they cover his windshield with paint and just at that point bond running along because, you know, it's easy to keep up with a car going at 30, 40 miles an hour when you're running, Uh, jumps off of a ledge and lands on the roof. The chase
4: down the hill in the Land Rover is pretty cool, and Timothy Dalton does some of his own stunts on this. He actually is hanging off the roof of this truck as it's careening around. It's a nice change of pace from some of the later Roger Moore movies where you get a lot of that, like, Captain Kirk original Star Trek thing where it's very clear who the stunt double is and who the actual actor is. Um, So that's a really cool thing.
3: I love this updated Bond mix they play when Bond is on top of the assassin's car.
1: It's all action, people. It's all action. He's stabbing at the roof with his knife to try and get into it. The SAS starts shooting at the truck and it starts catching on fire at the back. And this truck happens to just contain a load of explosives. They start bashing through cafes. Bond falls through the roof and starts beating the guy up. He actually headbutts him like it's pretty savage. You know, he just goes... Oosh! Ed, but straight away, it's just like, yeah, this Bond is no nonsense. There's no, there's no poshing around or anything.
4: We get a great save the cat moment here, where Dalton swerves to avoid like the idyllic perfect family from a head-on collision, even though he's like in the process of knife fighting a dude while hanging out of a
1: burning truck full of explosives. And eventually, you know, they get to the point where they go off a cliff, and Bond, who just happens to have a second parachute because you always need a second parachute, <laughs> pulls his chute. The wind picks him, pulls him right out of the car, and the guy who was killing the 00 agents descends to his death and explodes in a big fireball of death.
5: It ends up going off a cliff, and Bond has to beat the guy up, and then he ends up landing on a girl's boat, stealing her cell phone so she can call, or he can call in to headquarters to let him know and says he'll be back in an hour, and then the girl's like, hey, you want to do it? And he's like, let's make that two hours. Bond drives the truck off the cliff, pulls his reserve
4: chute, pops out of there like Bane, the truck then explodes, and Bond, of course, parachutes directly onto a yacht where he lands next to a bikini babe and immediately starts hitting on her.
5: That's so good! It's great action, it's exciting, it's an excellent chase scene, and then it's got a great Bond moment at the end of it. Bond on a boat with a girl. Bam! Timothy Dalton is here to be James Bond.
1: Oh, what a caro. What a cold open that was, you know? And just to top it all off at the very end, Bond... After parachuting out of a falling, burning, exploding car, uh, parachutes onto a gigantic yacht uh, with a very attractive lady who's very bored and wants a real man in her life. <laughs> so this is like the end of most other Bond films, <laughs> but this is how Timothy Dalton begins his life. Uh, but without um you know, it's all pretty funny, and um, you know, he has a he falls into some sexy time with some champagne on a boat, and it doesn't feel rapey. So well, well done, directors. <laughs> I love this film. It's so good. I'm so glad it doesn't feel rapey.
3: Why does a fake exercise have real dynamite, but not real guns, just in case somebody attacks?
2: Timothy Dalton is a really good Bond. He's a big step up for more and I love his outfits. It's nice seeing Bond wearing clothes other than a tux for once. He's a breath of fresh air from the last mm, 10 movies. It's
4: a good intro. I like it. I'm on board with this Bond. I like Dalton already and I'm ready to go.
1: <clears throat> Quick little factoid for you guys. So far, do you know the nationalities of the Bond people we've had? Because Timothy Dalton is Welsh. That's right. He's a Welshman. He doesn't sound anywhere Welsh at all. Like, his accent is at least Welsh accent I think I've ever heard in my life. But, yes, yeah, so far that means we've had Sean Connery, who is Scottish. We've had Roger Moore, who is British. Uh, British, sorry, English. And we've had Lazenby, who's actually Australian. So, yeah, we currently have a good old um, circle round of the... Um, of british people so it would have made sense if um maybe we had an irishman next but wait do we
4: It transitions into the opening sequence, and I think what they were trying to do is they had Duran Duran for *A View to a Kill*, and they were like, "How do we out '80s our like ultimate James Bond '80s intro?" And they're like, "Aha! We get aha!"
1: And we move into the opening by aha, aha. Uh, yeah that's an Alan Partridge joke for the five people who are probably listening to this who have seen Alan Partridge uh, because I don't know if that's even popular in America Um, (laughs) but yes the living daylights Oh, it's so good. It's so good, and it does a really good job of making this film just seem so super, super '80s. But also, there's there's lots of women just holding guns. I've noticed that as well over the last couple of Bond films. Um, is this is this a thing? You know, I'm pretty sure it's a thing on Pornhub. Uh, yeah, it seems to be a big thing on Bond as well. This song
0: is the second in a row that just straight kills. Seriously. Oh, oh, the living daylights. You have to love Aha. Take on me. The rest of the intro is super weird though, but the song is straight fire. Once again, we get another great Bond song.
3: Again, with all the weird yoga stuff. Meg calls it Gun Tai Chi. I'm also a whore for Aha, so this intro is a win for me. The lyrics don't make the most sense, but being an Aha song, that's par for the course if you take on me. Aha is the most successful pop band in the history of Norway. All three
4: guys were knighted by the King of Norway for service to their country. Um, And this song here was uh, uh, number five in the UK and it was number one in Norway for a while. Um, I like it. I think it's good. It works for me. Um, Yeah.
0: Cut to Czechoslovakia, which doesn't exist as a country anymore. That's crazy to think about in Bond movies, especially ones that weren't in the 60s. We all understand East and West Berlin being a thing, but to get rid of a whole country, that's crazy to think about. I was three when this movie came out.
1: We're over into Czechoslovakia, um, or the Czech Republic, whatever it's called nowadays. (laughs) And uh, yeah, they they were at some sort of a cello concert, uh, or just an orchestral concert, and Bond is trying to... um, help a russian kgb person defect or something i don't i don't really know what, what what they're doing you know he's trying to get this guy called Yorgi out of the country uh and into <clears throat> uh into another country that's more friendly to europeans uh, so they're trying to defect this kgb guy basically uh and he turns up you know he perves on uh, a woman with a cello because as you do she's pretty hot though. um but the guy, the guy who's running the operation, who's basically ordering Bond around, is such a dick. <laughs> like He's such a prick. And what the hell is that gun? So Bond has to basically look out for snipers to try and protect him. And apparently Yorgi also asked for Bond specifically. So obviously this is all some sort of weird setup. Uh, and yeah, this gun is just crazy. It looks like it's been left over from the set of Moonraker, to be honest with you. We open in Czech, Czechoslovakia,
4: and this General Koskov is, uh, he's going to defect from the USSR. He's a very high-ranking general. He's wearing the star of the Hero of the Soviet Union on his uniform, um, and he is going to sneak out at intermission of this concert and um, defect to the West. James Bond is there to help do some counter-sniper activity, and um, they're gonna get him out and get him into the UK.
2: The girl with the cello. Oh snap, she's a sniper.
5: The start of James Bond's mission here is to help a Russian general to defect, and uh, he's told them that he's pretty sure there's a sniper going to try and take him out. So James Bond's mission is to stop the sniper.
0: Bond attends an orchestra to survey a target, and I'll say, his contact is a dick. For like, no reason. You basically have an assassin to come help you, but don't be so rude, sir. Bond and Saunders go across the street to a kill room set up specifically for counter sniping, where Bond gets to handle a friggin' Walther WA-2000 sniper rifle. There were only 176 of these made. It cost about $9,000 back then, which is about $20,000. It's worth over $100,000 now. I'll admit, I know more about this weapon because of the video game Hitman 2, not because of anything particular.
4: Uh, this big giant gun that Bond has is a, a Walther WA200 sniper rifle. Um, interestingly, this is a real gun, uh, and there were only like 170, 180 of them ever made. So they end up being one of like they're like this extreme collector's item. They're very like very expensive to buy. I think one sold recently for like almost 80 grand uh, on the market because uh, they're just very difficult to get super collector's item, this rifle.
2: During this opening, we see Bond's kick-ass fold-out goggles. That is a really solid gadget.
5: And he ends up seeing this girl, uh, who is the sniper, and and something about it doesn't feel right. So instead of murdering her, James just shoots her gun,
3: um, which causes her to miss her shot, of course. We're only a few minutes in, and I already really enjoy how affirmative Dalton sounds versus Moore. Moore always sounded like he was wondering if what he said was correct and was just hoping others believed him.
2: Bond is once again after the KGB. I love how this movie feels so much more serious than the last several. I already like this version of Bond so much better. He's not a complete egomaniac, like Moore. At one point he even says, why me? The other guy responds, because they think you're the best. He just kind of shrugs.
1: So Bond decides not to kill this female sniper. And um the other guy just seems to know that he inherently missed on purpose, you know. Yeah, because that's easy to tell when you're holding a giant prop from the set of Moonraker. <laughs> and um uh it's just it's just really funny. Uh Bond takes over the operation uh, completely humiliates the other guy as well when he's uh, he gets Yorgi out of the boot says no come on sit in front with me you'll be fine and then he takes him to a, um, a place where they pump Russian um, gas to Central Europe and they stick him in a giant, uh, like pod thing, which is called the pig, which is used for cleaning out the pipes. And uh, Yorgi is naturally very, very worried about the fact that he's going to go in this huge pipe through, <laughs> uh, which is normally something that pumps natural gas everywhere. And it's just, it just shows that also timothy dalton is going to keep some of the humor in the bond films because yogi says like oh uh, he goes i don't know our guys have been testing this for months you're gonna be fine yogi it's like oh great yeah how many people have done it it's like you're gonna be the first so you just hit and he shuts the door <laughs> locks him in it's like you yogi you're going man <laughs> uh, but yeah you know <laughs> it's just really really funny And then he completely
5: takes over the operation to get the guy out of the country by taking the Russian general to the Trans-Siberian Pipeline, sticking him inside of a scrubber tube that they use to clean the pipes
3: and just shooting him across the border that way. And now we've got a good one-liner with this stupid pipeline joke and I love it. I do love as as James and uh, the
5: the technician at the Trans-Siberian Pipeline are putting him into the tube, James tells him, our engineers have been working for months perfecting this. And Koskov, who is a great actor, goes, how many times have you done this before? And Bond goes, you're the first, and slams the lid shut.
3: This whole conversation between Bond and Koskov while Bond is trying to shove him into the pipeline is just phenomenal. I am already in love with how Dalton interacts with humans.
0: Bond stops the quote-unquote assassin cellist, but shooting her rifle instead. And the general they are helping greets James like an old friend, which means James Bond is a terrible spy. Nothing new. But, Bond knows a better way to get the general across the border to Austria, and takes him to a national gas distributor and sends him through the pig. That whole scene is gold. I love his helper, Roshika. She was great. The general makes it over the border where Q is waiting with a friggin' Harrier jet. Dudes, how did you get that there in the first place?
5: It's awesome. I love this scene. This is one of those James Bond scenes that sticks in my mind. Like, everything about this sequence.
0: My favorite ally in this movie is actually Roshika. The lady who helps get Koskov out of Bratislava and the pig—she's just solid and willing to take one for the team. It's very funny.
1: Uh, oh yeah, we get the bit with the woman as well, who just sort of like, but <laughs> who's one of Bond's like, uh, sort of agents in this pipe factory, and she just decides to shove her boobs in this guy's face so he doesn't see all the lights light up when they send the pig down the pipes. Does that does that sound funny? Sending the pigs down the pipes—is that a euphemism? I gotta
2: admit, that was a really clever way of getting the Soviet defector into Austria through that pipeline.
0: As much as I love the Aston Martin, I actually think the pig is the most fun vehicle in this movie. It's like the luge from hell, but it gets the job done.
4: I think this whole escape scenario is great. Um, There's espionage, there's cool stuff. They get away on a Harrier, there's a diversion involving a girl. Um, Dalton is like tough, he's no nonsense. It's like no funny like disguises, no gondolas with motorboat attachments, no like kooky, weird disguises or stuff. You just like, it's like very hard hitting, like. Espionage, spy thriller kind of stuff, and I think it's very good. And I think Dalton is great. I think he's very funny. He's got a lot of really good uh, one-liners, and he's got a lot of really he's got a really good personality um, for Bond, right? And they they're like, well, why didn't you? He doesn't sniper the girl, and they're like, why didn't you do that? He's like, well, it's because she's not
1: a pro. Uh, yes, but anyway, when he gets to the other side, Q is waiting for him, and yes, thank God, Q's back. He I, I feel like he's been missing for a couple of films. Um, I'm pretty sure he has been missing for a couple of films, but oh my God, thank God, Q is back. That is great. And uh, yeah, they've successfully defected Yorgi from Russia to Austria. Yay! Thank you. Thank you.
5: And then as he's explaining what happened to the guy who was supposed to be in charge of the operation, who's like, you missed, you missed deliberately. Why didn't you kill the sniper? He's like, I only kill professionals, which is a good line to begin with. And then he looks ahead as he's driving and goes, whoever she was,
1: it must have scared the living daylights out of her. Oh, they must have scared the living daylights out of her. Nice plug, Bond. Nice plug for your own film. Love it.
4: Hell yeah, Timothy Dalton. Like he could tell immediately that she's not a pro. He wasn't going to pull the trigger. uh, So he shoots the gun out of her hand, which I think is great. I think the whole sequence
5: is awesome. What's weird is I always think it's in From Russia With Love because in From Russia With Love, there's that scene where the guy's escaping out the building and James has to go and snipe the guys. He's like, there's a secret door in the woman's mouth on the billboard. I always combine these two scenes in my head.
1: Oh, money penny. Oh, yes, please. Yes, yes, please. It's Q
2: and a new, younger money penny? It's a little jarring because we've had the same money penny since Dr. No up until now, but we still have the
3: same Q. So I feel like the money penny interactions. Uh, up until this movie, have gotten like more and more subdued because she was getting older and the bonds were switching, and even the bonds were older. So I really enjoy this new younger Money Penny who has a renewed sexual tension with Dalton.
5: Hey, we get a new Money Penny in this one, and she and Bond are all flirting and stuff, just like they always are. And she's like, "Hey, you should come and listen to my Barry Manilow collection." And then he slaps her on the butt and walks away, which you know. But the reason I want to bring it up is because the subtitles want to make sure you don't miss that moment. So the subtitles on it actually say, brackets, slapping buttocks
1: in that moment. Oh, money, Penny. I'll be honest with you. I'll go for Barry Manilow all over you. I really would. Yeah? You want me to come listen to Barry Manilow with you? I'm there. Please, please, just send send me your number. Cool.
0: Go for it. Bond goes back to Britain, where we meet a new hot money penny, and Q is demonstrating a ghetto blaster. Yes, folks, this is the height of jokes in the 1980s. A rocket launching ghetto blaster.
2: So this boombox bazooka is called the ghetto blaster?
1: Yeesh. Now, best Bond gadget? Come on, the ghetto blaster. (laughs) A ghetto blaster with an inbuilt rocket launcher? Yes, 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 yes.
3: And we're on to my favorite invention, the Ghetto Blaster. When you gotta break dance and break through enemy lines all at once. When we are in
4: Q-Branch, um, there's a very cool sequence with that. Uh, the rocket that fires out of the boombox was uh, was actually launched by Prince Charles. Um, He was on set that day with Princess Diana, and he's like a huge James Bond fan, and they allowed him to like push the button that shot that rocket out for that sequence. He was also um, him and Di were at the premiere of this movie. Uh, Prince Charles, uh, I think I said in one of the previous episodes during um, the Spy Who Loved Me, when they do that amazing like uh, stunt where he skis off the cliff and the British flag parachute opens up, Prince Charles was at the premiere of that as well, and he just like stood up and started clapping when he heard the James Bond theme and saw the British flag. Open, so he's a he's a fan
0: we also finally get a car the last few movies have been a total car loss and it made me sad we get a brand new vantage v8 which is very fine it's totally 80s looking but it has a ton of gadgets like tons of them and Bond is very cheeky when he shows them off later
1: uh but yes i have to say as well there's I'm going to change my mind. I said earlier the ghetto blaster is the best gadget in this film, but actually the best gadget is here with the gun detecting rake. Yep, if there's a gun nearby, the rake will go beep 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 beep. Fantastic water gadget.
3: This film isn't making everything blatantly obvious, which is one of the reasons I'm enjoying it up to this point. Bond walks up to this mansion and uh, there's a rake that kind of mysteriously turns towards him, and it is a metal detector, and I really enjoy that.
0: Bond goes to visit the general during his debriefing, bringing him by a laundry list of very expensive snacks from Harrods, including a bottle of Bollinger RD. Now, this one was tricky. RD is aged for a minimum of eight years, and the closest day I could find is a 1976 bottle, currently going for $799. I'm assuming it was cheaper back then. Oh, and everyone was smoking cigarettes like fiends.
1: So here we go over to one of the one of my. F-
0: it's just I just love this
1: film so much. So many of my favorite film moments from the whole Bond series, but we have the Russian milkman, who infiltrates the British. Um, should we say? <laughs> stately home <laughs> that, the, uh, that they're keeping Yorgi in. You know, ha- uh, Bond's, Bond's just come over and bought him a little care package from Harrods, which contains Bollinger. Yes! Another plug for Bollinger and the Bond films. I love me a drop of Bollinger. And so does Bond. I love it. And Yorgi's very happy about it as well.
5: Okay, so the Russian defector is at the safe house and he's explaining to them that this General Pushkin has gone mad and he's killing all these spies and he's leaving this phrase behind that. I can't remember what the phrase is, but basically it translates to death to spies. It's a specter thing. I believe
2: death to spies. That that's a Smirsch reference. That's from the books.
4: Okay. So they're debriefing Koskov and he says his boss, general Pushkin is anti-detente and he's going to like start trouble. Uh, he's going to start a war with the West. He's gone rogue
5: and he needs to be taken out. Um, and, uh, while he's debriefing them, Bond comes and gives the guys some like fancy food and stuff. But then, uh, KGB agent shows up and like starts. He disguises himself as a milkman, like Agent Forty Seven and Hitman Two, in that demo disc that was on the official PlayStation Monthly magazine. You all know
1: the one. Uh, but yes, oh my God, the German is it German? No, the Russian guy with the uh, the Russian milkman uh, who comes in, infiltrates uh, the manor by delivering milk, as you do, because <laughs> who suspects a milkman? No one, no one in England would ever suspect the milkman. So he he comes in. I know it's not really a gadget, but I
4: love the the milk canister grenades, right? I think that's awesome. He pulls these, he's got these uh, these milk cart, these milk bottles, and he pulls them out and he throws them and they explode like grenades. I'm super into it. I love it.
1: Uh, he kills a couple of guards, um, and then he says there's a gas leak, so they set the alarm off. And then he starts throwing exploding milk bottles everywhere until the point where he's able to uh, almost uh, inca- incapacitate
0: Yorgi. But there's a blonde Terminator slowly waking his way to the house, eventually breaking out the general. Looks like a kidnapping. Spoiler: turns out the general was in on it. We also get a KGB versus Butler fight that's pretty epic.
4: They send a KGB assassin out to get uh, Koskov. He's played by the dude with the glasses in Die Hard, Carl's brother, the ho 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 I have a machine gun guy. Um, Is an awesome fight. In the kitchen uh involving like they're whipping like boiling water at each other and they're hitting each other with various kitchen implements and i think the fighting is great it's like very realistic seeming it's very like brutal
3: um i'm super into it call me wrong if i am but i think the milkman fight in the kitchen is the first in the franchise to show that other agents are actually
1: competent fighters and at one point as well during this whole thing he grills a man's face in the kitchen he grills it on a grill, and it's just, ouch, man, that's, that's, that's low. That is low. Wow, that is a
2: smooth hit, man. Holy crap, that was a brutal fight scene in the kitchen. Exploding milk
5: bottles. Uh, and Agent 47 just starts throwing these milk bottles all over the place, but they're secretly grenades, and it's making all these explosions, and he ends up kidnapping the general pack. But where did Bond go in all this? I was unclear. I thought Bond was at the safe house still, but maybe he just dropped off some groceries and then left? I don't know. Something about that was weird.
3: Then we learn a few minutes later that they are not competent as a whole. They let the guy they're protecting go in a random helicopter that nobody asked for and nobody confirmed the landing.
4: Anyway, they get... um they get Koskov out of there. They knock him unconscious and they load him into a helicopter and they fly him away.
1: And then you know, a, a rogue helicopter comes in out of nowhere with a big red cross on it, so obviously it must be an ambulance. <laughs> and they put Yorgi on the ambulance and then fly off. And one of the guys uh, goes, oh no, shit. <laughs> They've captured Yorgi back within minutes. This is so, so embarrassing.
4: There was a little bit of a controversy surrounding this movie because the Red Cross, Red Crescent were very upset that Um, The bad guys use uh, helicopters and, you know, they package drugs and stuff with the marking of the Red Cross. It's kind of actually like kind of a dangerous thing to do because, you know, the way that this works in real life is that um, you have to assume that the Red Cross, Red Crescent badge is for, um, you know, neutrality and, you know, medics. There's all this like, you know, war crimes stuff surrounding this. And the, uh, you know, the Red Cross was a little upset that the, the movie used use their uh their their badging for this um but you know in real life just bad guys also do that so it's it's a little bit realistic as well i guess
2: m chastises bond for not killing the girl it was instinct sure it was bond sure
0: m second guesses bond's instincts how is that possible he saved the world multiple times How far back does this continuity go?
5: After the general gets taken back again, MI6 is like, well, clearly we got to take care of this Pushkin guy. Uh, So they send Bond to uh,
1: assassinate him.
0: Turns out there's another general who wants to kill Koskov, that being General Pushkin, General Gogol's replacement.
1: So the kind of the plots going on here is that apparently, um, which uh, is the information Yorgi passed on to the British uh, Secret Service, is that a guy called Pushkin um, is plotting to kill O agents. So he puts Bond in charge of trying to uncover the plot. And Bond's kind of like, mm, Pushkin, really? He's kind of like an old buddy power of mine. And you, you may remember him from the first uh, Indiana Jones film as well, where he helps Indiana Jones out a lot in the desert.
2: Is that, is that Gimli? Holy shit, it is. John Rhys-Davies. He's not just Gimli, he's also from Sliders, and he's in Indiana Jones
3: as Sala. Man, I am real hyped to see John Reese Davis. He's such an amazing choice for a villain or a dwarf. He's just so imposing but respectable.
4: Okay, we go to Tangier's Morocco, and we meet General Pushkin, and it's Salah For a, for a Welshman, John Reese davies gets cast as an Arab a lot, but yeah, it's, it's easy, we're on board
0: with it. Oh, and it's Sala from Indiana Jones. Or, if you're a man of culture, Professor Maximilian Arturo from Sliders. Fine, I guess he's also Gimli if you're into that sort of thing.
1: So, you know, Pushkin seems like he's supposed to be a good guy, you know? He's got he's got good back history with uh, indie and stuff. So, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you, Bond. I don't think he's a psychopath. But, you know, you've got to go out and you've got to keep an eye on this. So
2: Gimli, I'm, I mean General Pushkin,
1: is sort of the main bad guy?
4: So MI6 give the order to assassinate Pushkin. And Bond isn't convinced. He doesn't like this. He knows this guy. He's worked with him before. Like you know, their work. He's a worthy adversary, but he's doesn't not the sort of person that needs to be assassinated. But you know, Bond's got orders. He's got to do it. He's gonna go.
2: This Q scene is awesome you've got your stun gas, you got a trick sofa, and then there's a special key that opens every lock no matter what for some reason, somehow.
1: So here we go. We got the big plot point gadget <laughs> that pops up in most Bond films, like the uh, magnetic watch that Bond used to uh, unzip women's dresses uh back in um, you know, that film. <laughs> but yeah, this one we have the uh, the stun gas key ring where if you wh- wh- whistle the first couple of keys of Royal Britannia it will let off some stun gas and if you uh, well, they set it to Wharf Whistle wh- wh- wharf Whistle for James Bond and it'll explode and um, yeah you know, it's also got a special key ring on it that um, will unlock any lock well 90% of the world's lock according to Q there we go all of your smartphones have just set off uh, stun gas so sorry about that people
0: Bond gets some more gadgets including a universal key on a fun key fob with its own like knockout powers and bomb thing. But as
1: good as the uh, exploding gas uh, unlocking all the doors in the world keyring is, uh, it's not as good as the uh, sit on this sofa and it's gonna turn around and capture you thing and suck you into it. I'm sure that was from a film called Monsters. Don't know if anyone remembers that from the 80s, but yeah, uh, there's, the sofa sucks this man in and then Q sits on it. <laughs> so funny. Was there
3: a need for Q to sit on his own associate in a trap couch? No. Was it worth it? Totally. I really like Q's lab in this one.
2: It it looks like an actual RD lab. I don't I don't know what's different about it, but something about it feels a little bit more real and high
3: tech, and I like it. God, that Aston Martin V8 is beautiful. It's been neat to see these other exotic cars like the Lotus Esprit and the Auto Rickshaw, but nothing beats an old Aston Martin. But Bond's like
5: I don't know, it doesn't feel right. I know Pushkin, this just doesn't seem like his bag. And so he ends up going on a quest to find um, the sniper, the girl with the sniper rifle from the beginning, the cello player with the sniper rifle. Anyway, the KGB pick up Kara
4: and they are trailing her, they pick her up, they question her a little bit um, and Bond needs to know the same thing that the KGB knows. So when she comes back to her uh, apartment, Bond is there and he is gonna get her out. He's gonna escape, he's gonna get her out and he's gonna bring her to the west.
1: So we're back in the Czech Republic or whatever it is Czechoslovakia blah, 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 and uh, Bond is following the cello girl and she gets taken by the KGB while she's on a tram and Bond uh, kindly picks up her cello for her because she left it on the tram uh, and he goes to a, a men's urinal as you do uh, has a look inside the cello and there is the gun that he shot earlier on in the film and inside the gun is blanks dun, 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 So the whole thing has been a huge setup, and Bond has worked it out so Yorgi is obviously not playing fair. It's kind of what Bond's worked out here. So he he goes, so once she's released by the KGB, he meets her in a flat with her cello case and says, oh, I chucked the gun in the river, all that bollocks. And he convinces her that he's an old friend of Yorgi and he's come to help her uh, basically get out of the country and they're going to meet up with him in Vienna. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, he's just trying to trick her basically to get more information out of her and to help hunt down Yorgi, who is now the defected back to Russia, I think? (laughs) Or to Pushkin? I don't know. Somewhere he's defected to. He defected to the UK, now he's defected somewhere else. He's defecting all over the place.
5: (laughs) And uh, ends up hooking up with her and basically gives her a story that he's working for Koskov, the general who defected, and uh, it's basically revealed that it was a fake defection, and she was a fake sniper. She had blanks in her sniper rifle. Oh, so the the plot thickens here.
2: It's the cello player. So Bond steals the cello case with the sniper rifle and figures out that the KGB is after her. I think they go back for the cello and stuff it into the backseat. That scene's hilarious.
4: There's a great part where they're driving away and Bond has her in the car and they're going to go escape to the west. And she's like, I got to go get my cello. And he's like, no. And she's like, no, you don't understand. I got to get the cello. He's like, no way. No. Why didn't you learn the violin? And then it cuts like a hard cut to him sitting in the car while she's inside, like getting the cello. And I'm just like, yeah, been there, man, been there, buddy. And it's just, it's cool because it just, this isn't the Roger Moore Bond. This is a different. This is a different version of him that we're getting and I think that is a really cool way to show that and I think that is a really cool transition and it tells you a lot about this character um, that he's like this hard ass but he's got a soft
3: side and I think it's great really well done Dalton's bond is a damn softy and I love it
1: now. As they're escaping, uh, they do a very good job of uh, pretending she's a cello in a phone box. I'll let someone else explain that.
4: I love the shot of the KGB guys in the car and the tram cuts in front of Kara while she's in the phone booth. And then it comes out the other side. She has swapped into the car with Bond and drives away. I think that shot is great. It might be my favorite shot from the entire movie.
1: But she forces him to go back to the uh to the uh you know the opera house wherever it is and pick up her cello and bond's very furious about it and then he has to try and get this huge cello into the back seats of his aston martin now the aston martin was never designed for stuff to go in the back seats so quite frankly bond needs to get himself a better car now i i've got honda jazz and i can recommend this to you bond because i can get two kids and a double buggy in the back as well as some extra bits so i fully recommend you Trading, you know, all these silly, silly car, all these Aston Martins and BMWs, Z3s and stuff that you're gonna have in the future. Trade them all in. Get a Honda Jazz, perfect family car. You know, you know, if you've not got much space to park, great, great stuff. Uh, so
4: now we get the awesome chase sequence and the best gadget in this movie by far is the is the Ashton Martin Vantage. This car is great. It was like at the time that it came out, it had like one of the fastest zero to 60s of any car, maybe the fastest of any car um, on the market. Um, and this car is really amazing. This is like a very worthy Bond car. Um, they're actually going to bring it back for the new one, No Time to Die, I think I, I read is going to use a, um, a D, uh, Aston Martin Vantage. Um, so that's going to be awesome.
0: Bond tracks down Kara, the cellist who is supposedly the sniper he was supposed to kill. And it's just some girl who just got wrapped in the whole thing, being that Koskov was her sponsor. Bond meets her in a flat that was tossed by the KGB. He decides to smuggle her out of the country in hopes of tracking down Koskov or his associates. Escape from the KGB using Bond's awesome car. I mean, seriously. He has so many gadgets, and he's very fun when he uses them, including side-mounted lasers that cut a car in half, a rocket launcher, bulletproof glass, outriggers for riding on snow and ice, and even a rocket for going faster. Unfortunately, they also get close to the border and have to use the self-destruct button, thereby finishing the ride down the mountain on a cello case. I love the scene where they slide under the bar and the border, and like, they state, nothing to declare while flashing this British passport
1: now i hate hate laser gadgets in bond films uh, obviously apart from moonraker where they have a huge laser fight in uh, in space because that's completely believable but otherwise when you have a laser in the bond films it's completely unrealistic because you know in goldfinger there was a huge laser which was about to uh, go through bond's crutch and um, you know probably save a lot of women actually from a lot of uh, mental health issues in the future um but unfortunately that was a huge laser which went very very slowly uh, in order to cut through a tiny bit of rock and uh, Bond's uh, ball sack But uh, in this film, there's a laser built into the wheels of his car and it is used to much effect to cut another car completely in half from the axles. It's just so unrealistic.
4: Okay, he uses the car radio to find the police scanner. Um, then he lasers a cop car in half with some lasers that shoot out of his tires, which is awesome. And we get great... Like, the humour in this is great. It's not very, like... You know, it's not very campy and silly like the Roger Moore ones were, but when it wants to be funny, it's very funny. Um, My favorite joke from this is he uses the lasers in his hubcaps to laser a Czechoslovakian police car in half. The top comes off the bottom. Everybody, you know, the the cops live, which is, you know, good touch. And she's like, what happened to them? What happened to that car? And he's like, salt corrosion. I love it. I think it's the best joke in the movie. It made me laugh for real. Uh, It was great. It's not a silly Bond pun, but it's silly, but it's...
3: That's perfect. I love it. This entire escape sequence is just like non-stop one-liners. Like someone says something and he just has a one-liner at the ready.
1: But huge missiles in the front of your number plate that are going to fire out and blow up a truck. I'm down with that. Oh yes.
3: But Bond needs to get
5: her out of the country so he can figure out more about what's going on. And there's a great chasing here where Bond's car has just every gadget in the book that you could want. It's got Uh, The first thing we see is just that the radio can tune into the police scanner and she's like that's that's the police scanner He's like oh, it must be atmospheric disturbance Which is he's just being all cutesy and throughout this chase scene as each of these gadgets goes off He tries to just like play it off like no, I'm not a British super No, I'm not a British super spy. Why would you think that? Uh, It's got missile launchers. It's got smoke screens. It's got Snowmobile treads that can come out of the side. It's got everything. This is
1: such a good bond car but this car is absolutely bonkers it's got lasers it's got uh homing missiles it's got skis and it's got s- spikes in the tires to grip the ice uh it has all sorts of very very odd odd gadgets it's just bonkers and then at the end oh yes guess what it has it has the motherfucking batmobile jet engine built into the back of it so he can fly over all the police cars at the very end magnificent what a car queue where can I get one of these? I'm going to trade in my Honda Jazz now. I've changed my mind, Bond. You, you you can have the Jazz. I'll have your Aston Martin, mate.
4: I love we get a very good like Jason Bourne kind of moment here where they're driving and he's being shot at and the bullets are like ricocheting off the bulletproof windows and he pulls out a map out of the glove box and hands it to Kara and he's like, tell me where this road goes because basically this mission has gone like FUBAR and we got to get out of here, but I don't know where I'm going. So that's a really cool touch. I love that bit where he hands with the map and it's like, where are we going?
2: i love bond's muscle car here it's an aston martin v8 vantage volante series 2 i think it might be my new favorite bond car wow this thing is decked out with gadgets this whole car chase is is awesome
4: One awesome thing about this Aston Martin is that, you know, you get that thing that pops up with a lot of these Bond movies where he opens the center console and there's just, like, a panel of buttons that are all labeled, like, various interesting cool things. And, like, when it first opened up, I saw the button labeled laser and I was like, ah, that'd be cool if we could see that. But the first thing he does is use the laser. And I think he uses every button on that panel in this movie and it's awesome. He flips on, like, a a digital uh, HUD, a heads-up display on his windshield that, like, shows targeting locks for the missiles that shoot out from the Front of the car. That's awesome. He blows up like an entire like Czech military uh, blockade. Drives right through it with the Aston Martin. So the army shows up, they've got APCs, they've got rifle grenades, they've got an MG-42, they're machine gunning him, uh, ex- there ex- are explosions going off all over the place, he doesn't know where he's going, he drives out onto a frozen lake, he's got tire spikes and an outboard skis that like he can drive around on the ice okay, he's got a rocket motor in the back that propels him forwards, um, and he just kind of ramps over a, a machine gun emplacement, drives down a cliff face, crashes his
1: car, and um, it... Oh, I love this little ice skating car scene (laughs) where he goes through the shed and then the sheds over the car and then he bursts out of the car and then his wheel bursts. So he does a big semicircle circle thing and then the Russian police car that's chasing him on the ice starts sinking. It's just so much, so much fun.
4: Finally dies. He gets out and you see guys running up at him with skis and you're like, okay, here we go. Another like James Bond ski sequence. I'm super in for this. I'm jacked. The car has a self-destruct button, which is awesome. It's the last button. It's the bigger red one. He's hit every other button on that panel. He hits the self-destruct button. Oh,
2: the self-destruct. The scene of the car blowing up was the saddest thing since the death of Tracy. That whole scene. R.I.P. V8 Vantage Volante Series 2. We hardly knew you. I'm getting a little teary-eyed just thinking about it.
5: And at the end, when they have to give up the Bond card, you're thinking, oh man, what are they gonna do? They're gonna get copped by these guys before they can get to the border. So they open her cello case and hop in it and go skiing down the side of a mountain in a cello case. I guess not skiing, sledding. They open it and go sledding down the side of a mountain in a cello case, using the cello as like a rudder to steer. It's so good, and it's funny, but it's not ridiculous the way that Roger Moore movies tended to be. I love this so much.
2: And then we're bobsledding on a
4: cello case. And then he jumps in the cello case and starts sliding down the hill, uh, riding it like a sled with Kara in the sidecar. It's great. Oh, the cello skiing.
1: This is one of my favourite moments. Again, I'm going to say that a lot during this thing, but yeah, the cello skiing scene is just fantastic. One sitting in each side of the cello case and Bond's using the cello to sort of, you know, rudder themselves to guide them down the mountain while people on skis are chasing after them. And then you get the bonkers bit at the... um, (laughs) <laughs> at the uh, the border patrol uh, where they're looking at these huge like this like army of people on skis with guns flying down the hills all these people on jet skis and in these like weird jet ski car things that they've got like this it's almost like a weird jet ski tank with like six people sitting on top of it with guns and they're all just flying down the mountain towards them with this guy and a girl in a cello case holding a huge cello so he's sliding down the hill in a cello case. He's using an instrument that's probably
4: worth like six figures as a rudder. Um, she, we found out later that it's a Stradivarius, which could be anywhere from like 100K to like $6 million. He's getting like AK rounds. He's like deflecting AK rounds with it, which is great. And he uses it to slide under the, the turnstile into Austria. He throws the cello up over the turnstile, goes underneath it, catches it. They flash the, the, the passport, nothing to declare. They go through. It's awesome. I love this chase sequence. I it's great um, it's amazing this movie is great so far
1: and Bond gives the girl the passports says hold these up <laughs> and then as they're going past the border he throws the cello over the over the barrier and they slide underneath it and he goes we've got nothing to declare and she goes just a cello <laughs> and it's just like oh there you are freedom you're in Austria well done <laughs> it's just bonkers absolutely bonkers and I fucking love it
4: and he is meeting joe don baker who we will see later in some fun roles in movies like golden he'll play a cia agent in this series later on but for right now he's like you know the caricaturistically like dumb goofball american he's like a west point washout who still thinks that he's general Patton, and um and then this is like the requisite James Bond, like all Americans are idiots sequence where he's kind of walking through that. He's got a, a, a gallery of himself dressed up as every like great conqueror from history. It's
2: Gimli again in Tangier. So the arms dealer slash West Point dropout slash mercenary uh, is apparently obsessed with historical
1: dictators. So we're introduced to Brad Whitaker here yeah, who's a big american guy who's really annoying uh push him straight away puts him in his place it's like matt uh you're not using my money for the purposes i think you're going to use them for which is i'm trying to buy really bad guns <laughs> uh, not bad guns you no know, good guns but you know for bad purposes you know what i mean you know what i mean he's trying to buy some uh un- some shifty some shifty weaponry under the table little backhander here you go brad but uh yeah brad's obviously gonna try and f- him over so pushkin's like no nope, give me my money back i want my uh, 50 million pound deposit whatever else that you put in
4: um so general pushkin uh cancels an order for a bunch of high-tech weaponry that are going to be deployed uh in afghanistan and this American guy can't figure out why the order is being canceled, because Koskov made this deal with him, uh, and the Russians were going to basically give like $50 million for these guns. He's already got the orders going, um, so why is Pushkin showing up to cancel it? And, you know, we'll figure out later, but what we realize here is that, like, Koskov's in deep trouble, and something real shady is going on. We
0: we'll are then introduced the secondary antagonist, Brad Whitaker, an asshole expelled for cheating at West Point, and former mercenary in the Congo, now an arms trader playing any side that pays him. Pushkin confronts him, and it turns out Whitaker is hiding Koskov. Oh, Yorgi, you
1: naughty sausage. Look at you, surrounded by all these beautiful women poolside, just throwing themselves at you. Oh, you naughty, naughty man.
4: So we get this very gratuitous scene at Whitaker's pool party sex palace, uh, where he tells um, Tony from Die Hard that he wants Bond and Pushkin both dead.
1: Meanwhile, in Vienna, uh, Bond is too busy uh, schmoozing Kara. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely trying to get into uh, into her, uh, you know, her never regions. Uh, it's very obvious. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they take a horse and carriage. Like, are there no cars in Vienna? Like I've, like, I've been to Venice and there are no cars in Venice because it's all rivers and lakes. There's nowhere for a car to drive. But Vienna, do they just have horses and carts? Can you really not get a real car in Vienna? Tom Bond. Put your finger at Bond.
4: Okay. Uh, so one of the things that Dalton gets kind of a, a hard time for as the James Bond thing is that, like, basically you want your James Bond to be the perfect mix between, like, kicking ass and getting chicks. And, like, Sean Connery kind of hit that center line where he was, like, equally about getting chicks as he was about kicking ass. Roger Moore was more about chicks, and Timothy Dalton is on the other end where he's all about kicking ass. And, um... But I don't really think that that's kind of a fair assessment of him after watching this movie because, you know, Roger Moore would just kind of show up and be like, hey, what's up, my name's James Bond. Half the times he wouldn't even say anything. He would just start kissing the girl, and then that was, you know, play sexy music and then cuts to the next scene, and that was just, like, some throwaway, like, two seconds in the middle of the movie. Um, Timothy Dalton here, he's, like, they got a horse-drawn carriage. He's got her tickets to the Vienna Opera House. They're going to, like, they're going on like rides at the park together. He's, like, buying her stuffed animals and stuff. Like, he uh, he is way better. Bond has way better chemistry with Kara in this movie than he has had. With any girl since probably Agent Triple X, I guess. So
2: Bond and the chick go to Vienna. Bond meets What's His Face at the opera where he explains that the girl
0: isn't KGB, then they go to a carnival. I think Bond's really falling for this one. Bond has a plan to get Kara out of Austria, which involves meeting with his first contact, Saunders, from the beginning of the movie. Oh, and Bond finds out that Kara has a Stradivarius cello, which Bond figures is a little below the pay range of a cello's from Bratislava. Bond and Kara go out in the town, to the opera, to the fair. Kara has a new sugar daddy now, and they are later caught making out like teenagers on the Ferris wheel. But uh-oh, creepy blonde Terminator stalking Saunders. Bond meets up with Saunders, who gives him papers and information about the Stradivarius. Koskoff pays $150,000 for it, which is around $342,000 in today's money. However, it would cost you about $6 million for one a day, as there are only 63 cellos left. Probably none with bullet holes, though. Saunders is killed by a glass door. Schmir shmuck. shmuck comrade oh and i want to point out that that music for the chasing isn't good
3: now we're at the theme park and in traditional bond style he's macking on someone else's girl after two days but at least he waited two days
0: oh
1: and uh, yeah bond and Kara just yeah they uh yeah he pays off the uh, the ferryman you know uh, the ferry's wheel man and uh yeah has his has his uh, wicked way with Kara. oh i hope he cleans up the cart before the next family game because yeah i bet he's made a mess
5: So the girl is starting to fall for Bond and it seems like Bond really might be starting to fall for the girl too as they're at this uh, carnival funfair thing where Bond is having a secret meetup with uh, the agent that he was working with in uh, the mission to extract Koskov.
1: That balloon guy looks awfully familiar. (gasps) It's the Milkman. God, why is he always listening to that same song? Is that like his killing song? Is he like gone? do you know what? This is the song I'm going to kill people to. Just has it on repeat on his little cassette Walkman. Oh, do you guys remember cassette Walkmans? I miss cassette Walkmans.
5: That agent gives him a little bit more information and then um, gets murdered by a sliding door. This is the death that I thought happened back in Octopussy. I thought it had something to do with clowns, but it doesn't have to do with balloons because Agent 47 has rigged up a sliding glass door to just slam shut on this guy and murder him really brutally. This is one of the most brutal kills, I think, in the James Bond franchise. Um, It freaks me out. Every time I go through one of those sliding doors, I think of this scene. And listen, if Hitman hasn't stolen this scene from the James Bond franchise as a way to kill somebody, then they're doing something wrong.
1: Now, the best death in this movie definitely has to be Saunders being killed by a um, a revolving door. You know, a door that automatically opens and closes when you come close to it. Because, uh, yeah, that must be a thing. I'm sure that's happened before.
3: This new Bond won't even stay overnight for a girl because he needs his revenge. Oh, how far we've come!
4: Uh, Bond breaks into Pushkin's mistress's hotel room and is trying to get information from Pushkin. He knows that Pushkin isn't um, isn't the bad guy here, but he's also got orders to kill him. So the whole sequence here is great. Where they're interrogating, he's interrogating him, um, and I like that they leave it on a cliffhanger,
3: so we're not we don't know what's going to happen next. Bond has Pushkin at gunpoint, who sounds a personal alarm. Surprisingly, Bond rips off his girl's top, which was a very unique way to objectify a female, as a distraction, allowing Bond to get the upper hand instead of something he just wants to put his wiener in.
1: Now, this is the bit where Bond confronts Pushkin, and the most important bit in this entire scene is that we get a real good bit of side boob from Pushkin's wife. I Assume that's his wife, she's... I'm sure that's the same woman later on. But yeah, you get a huge, huge bit of side boob, like huge, huge side boob. Like I can't express it enough. There's just, that is so much side boob going on. And yeah, it's just right there. That's it. I can't even remember what happens in this scene. There was just this huge bit of side boob. And that was it. I was distracted. You know, I used to watch this film when I was a kid with my mum and dad. Like, whew. yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's some real side boob.
3: I think this is the first time we get some clear yabos in a Bond movie. But it doesn't feel rapey. It has like a reason to exist and it's only for a split second.
5: So they end up going to meet with Pushkin and Bond basically lets him know what's going on. And they decide that Koskov is probably a villain who uh, clearly didn't get kidnapped back. He, He clearly didn't defect. And also he didn't get kidnapped back by the Russians. He's gone off to do something else. Uh, We'll find out what that is later. But for now, Bond needs to make it look like he's killed Pushkin, so they fake murdering him, and then Bond has a rooftop chase scene that's pretty good. It's serviceable. Uh, The rooftop escape is great. It's very, like third born movie but um
4: predates it by 20 years so i'm super in i think it's a really cool sequence um and i like it and i like that it doesn't go on for 25 minutes i like that it's like he escapes running across the, the rooftops and that's it
1: oh the assassination or attempted assassination of pushkin is such a cool little plot <laughs> that they just sort of seem to make up on the fly so bond pretends to kill pushkin just before the uh, the german looking milkman guy does um and
0: uh yeah in order to sort of I don't know, further the plot of the movie? Bond goes after Pushkin, apparently an old acquaintance because, you know, Bond's a bad spy, distracting a guard with a naked mistress, which was quick thinking. Bond and Pushkin team up to take down Koskov, which includes faking Pushkin's death, and Bond pulling an assassin Creed running across the rooftop of Tangiers. But he's saved by girls working for new Felix! Felix is back! Yes. A very 80s Miami Vice Felix. Not a fan. He's kind of dumb he gives bond the heads up and offers to help him in the future so felix
2: jokes about bond almost starting world war iii and i realized he kind of does that in every movie
5: and ultimately bond meets back up with the girl and he comes clean he's like listen i think koskov is kind of a dick uh, I'm sorry that I lied to you, but I was trying to find out what's going on. I think you're cool and your ex-boyfriend is an a-hole and we should probably work together to stop him. But as he's saying this, he's getting all groggy because oh no, she's poisoned his drink and Bond gets knocked the F out.
1: Bond just got roofied. Now Bond is in the hotel room with Kara and he's revealing all to her about, he's not really Yorgi's friend, he's actually a British agent, da-da-da-da-da, and she drugs him. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Kara. Thanks for that but he manages to just realize just convince her at the very last second before he passes out by showing her the bullet wound on her arm that uh she is in fact following the wrong person
0: that bond is the good guy in the meantime koskov gets to kara and convinces her that bond is the bad guy whoops and she drugs him i will say bond should have known he was about to be poisoned. she left the vodka in the mixture with the ice how long was it sitting there melting she's a terrible bartender. But at the very last minute, she figures out that Bond is the good guy. So, like a four-second turnaround.
4: I know Bond likes martini shaken, not stirred, but dude, he houses that full cocktail. And he just like chugs this entire thing. That's like like four shots of alcohol. It's like straight booze, man. You're drinking it like water. And then, oh yeah, it's uh, it's also, it's poison. So now he's he's unconscious.
3: The fake ID they give Bond for the heart transplant is Jersey Bondin. and I love that.
1: Oh, that's a cool beating heart. I like that. That's a cool effect. Oh, well done, props. Well done, the props department. Good, good on you.
2: On the plane with the fake heart transplant, I, I have no
1: idea what's going on here. Diamonds on the ice, on the ice, on the ice. Now that is a good money laundering tactic. You know, you know, you can sell diamonds whatever you want. You know, I I think that's what's going on here. I'm kind of losing the plot. (laughs) Is anyone else losing the plot? I am a little bit. I've seen this film hundreds of times.
4: Bon wakes up on an airplane and he's being brought to Afghanistan to be handed over to the Soviet Union as an MI6 spy. This is really bad. This is real bad for James Bond. He lands on a, in a military base in Afghanistan, and um, and this is not good. This is not good stuff.
1: Yeah, Yorgi, Why didn't you kill Bond? You know, can you can you explain that to me? Oh, right. You want to hand him into the Russian government as Pushkin's killer because everyone thinks Pushkin's dead, but he's not really. But no one else knows that yet, apart from us, the audience. That's why I'm getting confused. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so Pushkin's okay?
0: Yeah? And you're gonna hand Bond in for some reason? To the Russians? I'm lost. And then when the team lands in Afghanistan a little later, Koskov drops the girl because hmm, reasons. He's like, get out of here. At least Bond gets to use the keys in the subsequent prison escape, also freeing an Afghani prisoner. Bond and Kara walked into jail during the day, and when they leave, it's night.
1: Now, this is how to escape a uh, Russian airbase prison. we have to do you just whistle all you
0: gotta do is whistle give a little whistle the best gadget in this movie is the keychain it was useful and actually used i'm interested in how universal the keys are and how that works but the best gadget is the one you always have on you versus like you know a portable photocopier we're free james
1: we're free yes but you're deep in a russian airbase with no means of escape so uh just keep it keep it calm Kara. come on come on keep it calm
3: So something else that's taken a little bit of a shift from the Moore and Connery films, Bond's salvation from the Russian Air Force Base is slightly less a matter of convenience, like a boat of tourists passing by, but is directly related to him having been nice to someone just a few minutes ago.
2: You know, I'm glad that Bond let that guy go.
3: And another thing I've noticed up to this point is that Bond isn't solving everything by accident, um, which, I mean, we commonly joke that Bond is a pretty horrible spy. He just kind of accidentally into everything. Uh, but this one is getting in touch with the right people to accomplish his task. And he is not always the guy doing the task.
1: Now that is a bit of genius Bond. Hmm. I'm stuck in a Russian air base. And there are huge, <clears throat> like, barbed wire fences all around that are like ten feet tall or whatever. So he steals, he steals the, you know, those little cars where they've got the the uh, steps on the back for getting off of airplanes. He steals one of those, just drives it up to the fence, and they just walk over. <laughs> genius, absolute genius.
4: Of course, Bond finally uses the keychain we've been seeing so much of. Um, he beats up three guys while handcuffs, steals a stair car like Arrested Development style.
0: They end up jumping over the fence of the army base by using the stair car. You're going to get some hot Bonds. They meet up with a Muhajadin, which can we discuss how much we all loved him in the 80s? Rambo, James Bond, it's like... No, these guys will never turn on us for religious reasons in a few years. Let's give them all the guns. Holy crap, is he hanging out with the Taliban?
1: Oh, good job Bond set that random prisoner free three scenes ago because that means that these um, these uh, Afghan resistance people won't kill him because they just so happen to be their uh, illustrious uh, leader or at least of the, um, the Eastern Division. <laughs> but yeah, that was a very, very, very handy thing. Like, why would Bond let just some random out of prison like you kind of assume he must have been there for a reason but you don't know what it was like he could have been stealing food like the guy kind of admitted to or he might have been like some sort of weird rush, like raping Russian men on the base or something You just don't know but Bond let him free and it turned out to work in his favour
4: ends up meeting up with the Mujahideen who are led by the, the other prisoner from the cell uh, he's the bad guy from True Lies and um, and now we're going to get like a Rambo 3 thing going on here where we're all going to be like fighting with the Mujahideen this- what could go wrong?
0: Bond and Kara hook up their Southern District leader, Cameron Shaw, who apparently went to school at Oxford, so he's a very civilized one. And it turns out they're involved with some shady stuff in general. At least Bond and Kara have a sexy pillow fight because he's a horse's ass.
3: This final bedroom scene with Kara once again makes me realize why I hated Moore. He's just creepy. Everything about him was creepy. Dalton's interactions with her are much more believable as a romantic and a lover.
2: So this villain plot makes zero sense to me. Something about drugs and weapons?
5: So ultimately, what's happening in this movie is that there is a guy named Whitaker, who's American, who is selling weapons to the Russians, high-tech weapons to the Russians, through Koskov, but Koskov is also using the down payments on those weapons to buy heroin and sell it at a quick profit and then, then buying the weapons. Bond finds this all out because he ends up in Afghanistan at a Russian airbase. Uh, he and the girl work together to escape, so she's cool now. They meet up with a guy who's like a, like a war prince in this Afghan army and uh, end up going with him on a mission to deliver heroin. Bond didn't know that's what the mission was, but he's like, holy shit, we're delivering heroin? What the hell's going on? They figure out the plot, and he's like, oh. So if that heroin disappeared... He's already spent his down payment on it, Koskov has, and if the heroine disappears now, then he can't get his money back and he won't be able to afford to buy the weapons.
1: Uh-huh.
5: Huh, how interesting.
1: Uh, yeah, Yogi and Brad get money from Pushkin to supposedly buy weapons they actually use the money to buy diamonds and then they use the diamonds to buy heroin from the afghanis and then they use the heroin they sell the heroin for a huge profit and then they use uh the profit that they've uh, they then also buy the weapons for the russians or pushkin or whoever and then they give them the weapons and they still have a huge profit left over and then everyone goes back to work after the lockdown
4: And we've kind of known some shady stuff's going on, but basically, um, Koskov and Whitaker are rogue. They are gonna take all this money from the Soviet Union, buy a bunch of drugs with it, sell those drugs in New York for more money, take some of that money, buy weapons, send it back to Afghanistan. So basically, they're simultaneously, like, blowing up the people of Afghanistan and selling drugs and, like, ripping everybody off. Um, Real shady stuff, and uh, so that's the plot. And now we gotta stop them.
1: Man, Russians are so lazy making the Afghans do all the work lifting his heroin around. But still, it's very handy for Bond because it means he just gets to uh, put a turban on his head, cover his face up, and uh, yeah, he can just walk around the Russian base completely uh, unguarded, like completely unrecognized.
5: So Bond takes a bunch of C4 and sneaks onto the heroin truck, and then he takes a bunch of C4 and sneaks onto the heroin plane and sets a C4 bomb. Ah, Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's blow some f***ing dope up. (laughs) Let's blow up some dope. Now... This is a great plan. Bond has set an explosive in the middle of all the C4. All he has to do is hop off the plane and wander away, looking like he's just one of the dudes helping out at the Air Force Base. Unfortunately, Kara, the girl, has a moment of agency here that I think is incredible for a Bond girl, but also makes the end of the movie a problem. Because Bond's plan is great here, but she's like, hey bond's in the back of that heroin truck you're just gonna leave him there and the war prince is like you know what are we gonna do about it and she grabs his ak-47 and goes riding off on horseback herself after the truck that's headed to the russian air force base and then the afghan war prince is like i guess we gotta follow her and so then like this huge battle breaks out at the air force base so bond can't just walk away from the plane instead he has to try and get the plane going and take off with it
1: Grand Theft Auto Air Carrier! Yeah, coming soon from Rockstar Games, probably before Grand Theft Auto 6 is released.
5: Listen, I like Kara, and I like that she does something so fierce and independent. (laughs) But it is a problem, I wish they had made it a good thing that she did this instead of a bad thing.
4: Bond smuggles a bomb on board uh, the C-130, hidden in among the opium, but he gets spotted. And things look like they're going to be in trouble, and then... Hooray, the Mujahideen shows up to save Bond. Um, we get like a very like, you know, Red Dawn, Wolverines where there's, you know, the Russian base is getting all shot up by these dudes on horseback with RPGs and AK-47s. And this is a great action sequence. There's a lot of really cool explosions. There's a lot of fun stunts. Um, and Bond is just trying to get this plane off the ground because he's going to steal all these drugs and, uh, and blow them up.
0: Bond convinces Shaw to let him destroy a truck full of drugs with a bomb. Bond is stuck on the truck that heads out to the military base. After getting caught, Bond starts a shootout from the plane that's full of drugs and a bomb, eventually being helped out by the Mujahideen, and they set off a few bombs. There's a part of the scene where they flatten a building full of dudes showering. Wait, dude, there are a whole, like, gunshots, bombs going off in your base, and you're still showering? So then
5: there's this great action scene. It's very reminiscent of a lot of the action scenes we've seen before. Uh, You Only Live Twice had the great one. The one with the submarines had the great action scene where it's just two armies battling it out while James Bond does cool stuff in the background. In this case, the cool stuff is that he's stealing this plane full of heroin and C4. But then the girl has another great scene where she, like, punches a dude out, steals his horse, starts riding towards the plane, gets hit by an RPG so that she goes flying off the horse, then steals a jeep. Come on,
1: Kara. Yeah, that's it. Get the car. That's it. Go on. Go on. You're doing it, Kara. <laughs> Oh my god, that Russian guy just like belly-flops onto the front of her car and then she has to kick him off. (laughs) What a flop. Props to you, stuntman. Props to you.
5: Catches up to the airplane and then drives it up into the back of the airplane. It's super cool. She is super badass. I dig it. And while all this is going on, uh, Koskov and Agent 47 are running up on the plane too, and Agent 47 ends up getting aboard.
4: I like the part where she drives the truck uh, up into the back of the airplane. I like any kind of thing like that. Any Anytime you tell me like spy movie, I always want to see some kind of night Rider deal where you drive up into the back of a truck or back of an airplane or something. I'm a huge sucker for those kind of sequences.
0: Bond eventually starts to get the plane to the air, also picking up Kara and a jeep along the way. Another jet blows up the jeep of Koskov, but he survives.
3: So that airplane door was a pull down. It would have made so much more sense to close it a long time ago, allowing him to safely reach the front of the plane. But no, gotta have that drama to make the movie happen.
4: The fight in the back of the plane is pretty fun. Uh, I love that Bond hands her the stick of an airplane. She's clearly never flown one before. He's like, just hold this steady. Why did you let her fly? And she's like, nah, I don't think so. And she's like diving and like, like opens the back and like tries to dump them out. Free opium. and. For a moment, I'm almost thinking like, um, maybe she's trying to kill them. Maybe she wants, she'll be happy if they both die and she can steal the drugs for herself. I don't know. Like she might actively be trying to kill James Bond here.
2: Oh man, this plane scene is so stressful. I thought that bomb was set for 30 seconds and it's been like 20 minutes.
5: So she ends up at the front of the plane and Bond tells her to, to keep the plane level, level. And she's like, well, where are you going? And he goes, to defuse a bomb and he runs into the back of the plane because he's gotta go find the C4. Like, it's somewhere in the back of the plane.
1: It's in one of the heroin bags that all look identical. But when he gets back there, Agent 47's back there. Oh, now we get the big showdown of this film, okay? There's one coming up in a bit, don't worry about it, but this is the big bit, you know? This is the showdown between Bond and his milkman. Never, ever deliver Bond's milk late.
5: Oh man, they start having a cool fight scene and then the back of the plane opens up, I think Kara opens the back of the plane. Uh, so then, Agent 47 and Bond are hanging onto a big like net bag, sticking out the back of this cargo plane, full of heroin, punching each other on the plane, Bond's trying to cut the ropes to get the bags to fall off because he knows that the bomb's in one of these bags. Eventually, Agent 47's only hanging on by Bond's boot, and Bond reaches down and cuts the laces on his boot to send him flying off the back of the plane.
0: Bond is Kara flying the plane while he fights off the Terminator snuck on board, eventually gets stuck on a rope bag full of opium swinging in the wind, but Terminator falls off and Bond stops the bomb at the last minute, but Kara damn near kills them in the process.
1: This is possibly one of the best stunts in movie history as far as I'm concerned. It's just incredible. Like. The I mean you can see that they were actually filming this out the back like well parts of it anyway, out the back of an actual aircraft carrier with the bags and it all flying around and you can see the two men trying to climb up. It is just fantastic and it's so tense. And this used to be the bit when I was a kid, it used to really grip me in. I used to be like, oh my god, oh my god, what's gonna happen? And yeah, it just turns out that um they just had this huge fight and then the guy's holding onto Bond's boot and all the all the dope and heroin's falling out the bottom because they've been using knives on each other and it's been cutting all the ropes open. The thing's flying up and down and then Bond slowly starts cutting his laces one little latch at a time until his boot falls off. Now, come on, man. Milkman, let go of the boot. Let go of the boot. Hold on to one of the massive bits of rope that's hanging around. Too late, too late. Boom. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Boom.
1: (laughs) <laughs> the noise he makes as he's falling is terrible. Oh, but man, it was so good! What a scene! What a scene!
5: Oh my god, it's so good! What a good action scene! I love this movie. So Bond gets back aboard the plane, and is like, whew, I was close!" And then he hears a ticking sound, and... I gotta believe that this was at least partially inspired by the Star Trek episode, Trouble for Tribbles, where there's a bomb there's a bomb inside of a Tribble, and Kirk's trying to find it. Like, wait, no. I'm not thinking of Trouble with Tribbles. There's not a bomb inside a Tribble in Trouble with Tribbles. I'm thinking of More Trouble, More Tribbles, the DS9 episode, where they go back in time, and there's a bomb inside of a Tribble, and Dax and Bashir are inside the bin full of Tribbles, and they're scanning all the Tribbles, and they're like, boop, boop, nope, boop, nope, boop, nope, boop, nope, because they're trying to find the bomb. Anyway... That's what Bond is like here, looking for the the bomb, and then he finds it and defuses it with no time to spare. But unfortunately, the Afghan prince uh, is being chased by the Russians, and so Bond tells the girl to hold the plane steady again, and she's like, where are you going? He goes, to drop a bomb, and it's just a nice echo of the scene earlier, and Bond rearms the bomb, and then throws it out of the back of the plane, and hits a guy driving a Russian tank in the shoulder. That's good aim,
0: James Bond. They also helped stop the Russians from killing the Mujahideen by blowing up a bridge. Fun fact, I'm pretty sure the US government helped bomb and rebuild that same bridge in 2006. Not really, but wouldn't that be a fun fact?
1: Wow, that bridge looked really expensive to blow up. How much do you think that bridge would cost? That you know, to blow up and repair it. In Afghanistan as well, that's, that's not easy to organize, like, you know, logistically. Also, the guy barely reacts. If you got hit by a bomb,
5: that was dropped from a plane, I feel like it would hurt. I feel like he should at least have a bruise on his shoulder. Well, I guess he gets exploded, so he doesn't have time to bruise.
0: Turns out the plane is all shut up and running out of fuel, but Bon and Kara pull an Operation Dumbo drop, landing in friendly Pakistan.
4: We get some really cool exterior stunt shots of like dudes actually hanging outside of an airplane. I think that's really cool. Um, There's a fight, they're struggling, they're fighting on the netting, they're hanging out the back of the airplane. uh, Tony the Terrorist grabs on to Bond's uh, boot. Bond takes his knife, cuts the boot laces, dumps the Necro into Afghanistan.
2: Bond just single-handedly destabilized the Middle East.
4: Climbs up the netting just before it rips, defuses a bomb, pulls the plane up before it crashes into a mountain, circles back, drops a bomb out the back of the airplane onto some Ruski tanks, blows them up, blows up an entire uh, uh, bridge to like save the Taliban from the bad guys. Then he... It, crashes the plane, but not before he ejects out the back in a Jeep at very low altitude and drives it away. And that's it, he's just like, amazing action sequence, he's doing all these cool stunts, and then at the end it's just him and Kara, he's behind the wheel and he's like looking all smooth, he's like, wow, I know a great place for dinner in Karachi. It's great, I love it.
5: All right, so they've saved the day, right? They've defused the bomb, they've spread most of the heroin across the countryside, which is bad, Um, uh, but then, the plane there's nowhere for the plane to land it's running out of fuel so they aim the plane at a mountain to get rid of the last of the heroin and then ride the jeep out the back of the plane and have this crazy landing it's terrifying and then they stop they end up coming to a stop next to a road sign for karachi and Bon goes huh i know a great restaurant in karachi we can make it just in time for dinner god he's smooth So Bond drives off into the sunset towards Karachi with the girl. And you think, the movie's got to be over here, right? No, 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 my friend. Because we got to go take care of Whitaker, the, the guy who was the American who was selling the weapons in the beginning. And uh, Bond sneaks into his weird, like, toy store full of military models that he's got. But they're all secretly actually weapons. And so we have a weird, cool shootout where there's, like, toy soldiers firing cannons at, bombs, at Bond. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty fun little action scene it feels weird because it feels like the movie should have ended already
1: but whatever it's fine so we get the showdown between Bond and Whittaker and they're having a little bit of back and forth about tactics of some past battles fought by other men whose names I don't really recognize <laughs> but I yeah you know apologies maybe it's like the American Revolution or something so maybe you guys all know about that but you know I'm English I know about English stuff you want to talk to me about you know William's William the Conqueror and stuff like that, I'm here. Henry VIII, you know, and his six wives. I'm all over it. But, you know. uh, (laughs) But, yeah, got no idea what they're talking about. But, yeah, then suddenly Bond is knocked over by a draw. Yes, a draw, people. Bond is never going to live this down with the other 00 agents. They're always going to bring it up at every Christmas party. They're going to be like, "Eh, do you remember Bond when you got knocked over by that draw? (laughs) I assume that's how the other 00 agents talk, you know. Bond's the posh one. He's the one who went to a good school.
2: Turns out Whittaker, the arms dealer, was behind it all. Why are Bond villains so extra?
3: As Bond is sneaking into Whittaker's mansion, I realize one of the other things I love about this movie, more punches, fewer karate chops.
0: Bond then goes back to Tangiers and confronts Brad Whittaker, but it doesn't go out so well. With Whittaker mad, they lost half a billion dollars in opium, which is 1.1 billion dollars in today's dollars. Whitaker surprises Bond with some explosions and takes charge of the fight with a shielded rifle but is crushed by a statue in Bond's bomb keychain. Koskov is apprehended by Pushkin who tells his guards to take Koskov back to Russia in the diplomatic bag.
1: Fantastic, Bond. That is possibly one of the best kills in the Bond franchise. You managed to kill the big bad guy with a wolf whistle. <laughs> and a statue of Wellington, no less. We get a little
4: epilogue here where Bond goes after Whittaker, who is, um, he's an evil American, he talks shit about Wellington, and then immediately gets impaled on a diorama of Waterloo. It's like, perfect, very James Bond, very excellent finish to this.
2: Bond is saved, uh, at the last second by Russian Gimli. She's just playing that cello with a bullet hole in it. I really do think Kara might be one of the better Bond girls. She does seem a lot more uh, believable compared to a lot of the previous ones. And not completely helpless.
4: The orchestra conductor at the end is John Barry. He's the guy that composed the James Bond theme and like did most of the music for most of the James Bond movies. This is his last movie as a composer for the Bond series uh, and it's really cool that at the end he goes out as the as the conductor for the for the symphony.
0: We also get a scene at the very end with Kara playing her bullet hole ridden cello on her old world tour. And General Gogol making an appearance as a new diplomat and a terrible, terrible ending song.
5: And then we find out that uh, Kara is back playing her cello again and... Um... Our old friend, uh, General Gogol, the Russian general who's been in the past several Bond movies, is now like a diplomatic member of the Russian government and is cool with MI6 and is like hanging out with M. They're probably like shooting pool and picking up chicks and stuff. Uh, and he's here to grant Kara like a special dispensation, so even though she is a traitor to Russia, she can come back and play concerts in Russia. Ah, oh, that's sweet. And then the the Afghan War Prince shows up and he and his buddies are like, we came to see you play because we freaking love you and we had trouble at the airport. And they're like covered in guns and rounds of ammunition and stuff. So it's like, no wonder they had trouble at the airport.
4: I do kind of love the joke at the end where the Mujahideen show up and they're like, oh, sorry, we're late. We uh, we got held up at the airport. And and M is like, oh, I can't imagine why. That made me laugh. I immediately felt bad about myself for it, but I did laugh.
1: And this brings the end to it. Yorgi gets his comeuppance, Pushkin's alive and pushes him around. Cara gets to perform at uh, Carnegie Hall, and um, yeah, the Afghans arrive, you know, apparently the trouble at the airport. So, yeah, when you got the two guys wearing those big bullet belts, it's just like, yeah, you're not getting through the airports, like, not even in the 80s, man, like, it, like nowadays that would be impossible, like, you'd be lucky to get your shoes through the airport, but, <laughs> but in the 80s, no, apparently you get through airports wearing, with guns and things, and yeah, it was fine, absolutely fine.
2: <laughs> hey, there's no boat at the end, I'm a little disappointed.
4: And hey, Bond ends up with the girl. We get a happy ending, and like this one feels very earned. He doesn't just like fall into like a sex submarine with some girl that we've never seen before. Like he really worked this angle. Like he deserves this happy ending with this girl. Um, and I don't have any
1: problem with this. Oh man, I love this film. I do love this film. The only thing it's missing is uh, um, it has sex on a boat at the very beginning of the film. But you know, he needed to have sex with Cara on a boat at the end of the film. They could they could have got a but they could have got a rubber dinghy in there, you know? They should do it, they should do it. And then they ask the big question, but where's James Bond?
5: Ah, uh, fortunately he's on an assignment abroad. Just kidding, he's waiting in her in her dressing room with his little wolf whistle beeper keychain. So she whistles at it and it goes, duh, 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 duh. and then she's like, ah, oh, James. And then the movie ends. <laughs>
1: This is the best Bond film ever made. It is just an absolute romp from beginning to end. It has so much fun stuff going in it. it has an interesting plot. Could have probably a stronger villain than Whittaker and Yorgie. They're not the best, but the henchman's great. I love the German milkman guy. I don't know why I keep calling him German. I think he's Russian. He's supposed to be Russian. He just looks so German, doesn't he? So Aryan looking, like that big, tall, blonde fella, very Dolph Lundgren-esque. You know, so you just think of the German guy from Rocky, don't you, when you think of that? But uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. It wasn't, wasn't Darth Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren in the last movie.
2: All in all, I got to say, The Living Daylights was a really fun movie. And like I mentioned earlier, I think Dalton is a huge step up from the previous versions of Bond in a lot of ways. And he feels a little bit more modern, a little bit more woke which is nice. Uh, He seems less misogynistic and just not as much of a total douchebag, which is nice. And I mean, he looks the part. He's a handsome dude, but he's also got this edge to him.
5: I don't know if you can tell. I love this movie. I just think it was great. It was a really fun action movie. It had a ton of comedy in it as well. Um, Timothy Dalton is just like, he's so smooth. He's so cool. He has one-liners, but they're like, it's like, Roger Moore was like stopping the action to make jokes, whereas I feel like Timothy Dalton is making jokes to deal with the action, if that makes sense. I don't know, I just really liked it. Uh, I'm excited to watch the next one. The next one is License to Kill Right? I remember that one being really good too. Um, yeah,
3: Living Daylights, it's pretty good. The final series of battles take about a half hour of the film, which really slows it down. But it is good action, it's not as goofy. I feel like the scene is kind of where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. Overall, everything's just smoother and feels more natural.
0: I think my favorite part of this movie was the flight from Bratislava and the new Aston Martin. I love the quick quips from Bonds, like salt erosion and modern safety glass. Like, it's very cool in the face of danger.
4: And that's it, that is The Living Daylights. I thought this movie was great. I thought the chase sequences were good, I liked the spy stuff, I liked the espionage, I liked the gadgets, the car is really cool, Timothy Dalton is great in it, and um, and yeah, I, I loved this movie. It I was one of my favorite ones that we've seen so far, and I was really surprised by, by how much I loved it. Um, so yeah, uh, okay, well I guess, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you on the next
0: one. My favorite villain moment, I think the Terminator just destroying people in England was fantastic who's killing people with headphones and exploding milk. Now that it's over,
3: I realized that one of the things I enjoyed overall about this film, there is no singular mastermind. It's Bond versus his circumstances and his current understanding. We technically have four strong villains, Koskov, his henchman Necros, Whitaker, and Pushkin. The story itself gives Bond reason to stray so far away from the actual villains and focus on Pushkin, but once he knows the deal, he creates a new plot with a former enemy, then takes out each of the serpent's heads.
0: Kara in this movie is very cute, but very naive. At least she tries to do stuff sometimes, and willing to slum it.
4: Bond goes back to Czechoslovakia because he wants to meet the cello player. He's got to know more about her. She's got to be connected somehow. So he goes to find her. And this is the Bond girl for this movie. Her name is Mariam Diabo, Deabo, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, she basically did this and a bunch of like B movies and like Skinamax, like softcore porn kind of stuff. But in, um, in 2002, she wrote, directed, and uh, was the presenter for a documentary called Bond Girls Are Forever, which is kind of like a, retrospective and a synopsis of like the history of the bond girls and what it's like to be one and she interviews a bunch of other women that were bond girls in these movies and uh, it's actually great and you should check it out
2: overall the living daylights is a really great movie I do think that they could have easily taken about a 30 minute chunk of the movie out and it might have been a little bit better if the pacing on this movie were a little bit faster if the movie was a little bit shorter I think it might be one of the best bond movies so far
3: bond will return and i am happy to see dalton in another movie
1: absolutely fantastic film if you haven't seen living daylights i don't know why you're listening to this podcast episode about living daylights but you should go check it out it is just absolutely amazing timothy dalton is great and more importantly bond will return in a license to kill
2: Podcasters Assemble Season 003 is a production of the We Can Make This Work, Probably, Podcast Network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble or joining our Discord server, link in the show notes. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links where you can find them all online. Thank you.
3: This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work. Probably Network.
5: Follow us on Twitter. At Probably Work. For more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com.
2: Podcasters Assemble will return in License to Kill.
0: License to Kill.
2: I gotta admit, it's... it's, I gotta admit, it's a... And not as, just not as much of a, just not, not as much of a jerk.
1: I wonder if Jaws is going to turn up at any point in this film, but I love this film and I know he's not going to turn up. Oh, I miss Jaws. Does anyone else miss Jaws? Do you think he'll be in the new Bond film? I think Daniel Craig's going to bring Jaws back. I hope that man's still alive. He was very tall. Very tall.
0: I miss, I miss Jaws. I hope he's in the next Craig film.